Welcome to Thoroughly Equipped, a podcast for women where we compare the popular women's ministry teachings, books, conferences, Bible studies, etc. to scripture. Our focus is 2 Timothy 3.16-17, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I'm your host, Melba Toast, and am, like always, so happy that you have taken time from your busy schedule to listen to this. If you are new, welcome. I pray this episode blesses you and brings glory to God as we discuss a very important topic, and that is doctrine. Now, it wasn't entirely my plan, but a pattern had begun to emerge in the way I conduct this podcast. Whether it stays that way, God only knows, but the pattern looks like this. An episode that revolves or relates to Titus 2, a couple episodes on critique, and then an episode or two comparing the traditional doctrine taught in the church with the new or false doctrine being promoted. Now I try to relate that to the critique, and so I found it very interesting that it began to be laid out this way, and I'd really like to keep it like that, Lord willing. Um, this episode that start uh, starts the pattern is what I have started to begin to begin to call Titus two time. So before I get into a book critique or a critique of any kind, I feel that some sort of teaching that revolves around urging women to follow the Titus two example would benefit not only myself but all those who listen. And the reason I bring this up is to explain how these next two episodes of the Titus 2 time actually fit into Titus 2 and its instruction. Paul urges Titus to direct the older women to teach younger ones what is good, and then describe why they should because teaching what is good will cause a younger woman to love husbands, love children, be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their husbands. So we see these actions are the result of teaching that which is good. Now, immediately my thoughts go to what is good. And of course, I think of Christ when the rich young ruler called him good teacher, and he said, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God, Mark 10:18. So if there's no one good but God, then all his words, all his teachings are good. And so this is why I feel it is necessary to discuss this topic, the topic of doctrine. I wish I had actually started the podcast episodes um, that I had centered on Titus 2 with this, but it really is what it is, honestly. But this topic is like the whole focus of this podcast. So I want to urge you and myself to study scripture, to be taught and know what is good so we may accomplish the good that Paul urges in Titus 2. Now, you have perhaps heard, at least 
probably once in your Christian circles and from Christian friends that doctrine divides, that doctrine doesn't matter, or such statements as, I have no creed but Christ. And surprisingly, these statements come from a set of beliefs, and as we will see, are in truth actually doctrine. So what does God's word say? Does doctrine matter? Should Christian women study and know about doctrine? And if they should, why study doctrine? Let's look first at what is doctrine. Doctrine is a set of beliefs about God. They are fields of study, such fields as theology, the study of God, anthropology, the study of man, Christology, the study of Christ, ecclesiology, the study of the church, harmatology, the study of sin, soteriology, the study of salvation, among many other studies, to which we gather information and come to trust and believe in that information. So there is right doctrine and false doctrine. And so we can either either have a true set of beliefs or a false set of beliefs. Either way, true or false, we put our faith and trust in these teachings, these doctrines. The question that is of most important to Christians should be where does one get their sets of beliefs or doctrines from? Man's observation, man's experience, man's tradition and teaching, or God's word? But Houston, we have a problem. (laughs) We have this problem called sin. And sin has corrupted our nature and causes man to believe falsely about God. To know and trust in that which is not God, that which is not good, that which is evil. And the Holy Spirit tells us through the Apostle Paul that no one honors God, no one understands, no one seeks for God, Romans 3.11. And they love darkness, John 119. Unregenerate men suppress the truth and do not honor God. Therefore, they become futile in their thinking, causing their hearts to be darkened. Romans 121. In their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. Romans 118. They believe, in essence, false doctrine. And this was us. We too were in darkness, believing false doctrine before God called us and saved us. All men, you and I, were born with this curse to love darkness and suppress the knowledge of God. And like all men, because of our suppression, we did not seek God, nor were we able to accomplish good works, because without faith it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6 But God, while we were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you and I once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you and I have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you and I have been saved through faith, 
And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God calls all those he has predestined, Romans 8.30, and draws us to him, John 6.44, giving us faith to go to Christ and know God. Through this call and the gift of the Holy Spirit, regenerate man now acknowledges God, trusts in who he is and what he has done. And through the word that was with him, the word that became flesh, Christ, John 1.14, we hear and study this word and get to know God more and more. His word not only tells us about him, but also what he wants to us uh, wants to teach us what to believe and how to live this is god's precepts and teachings this is his doctrine titus 2:10 what he teaches about himself about his son about the holy spirit about humanity about the church about salvation etc is very important it has implications on the way we live now and what happens to us when we die the more we come to understand the right set of beliefs or doctrines of God and his character, the more we understand that he cannot lie, the more we see his word as truth, the more we trust and obey it. The more we do this, the more we can see that all other doctrines apart from his word are lies. And this is why we Christians need to make a distinction between God's word and man's word. We hold God's word to be our only teaching for salvation, holiness, faith, and right living. This is the over-encompassing issue in American evangelical women's ministry today, in really all of American Christianity even. Where do we receive God's word? Where do we receive his teachings? Because if we know where God gives his doctrine, then we can identify where he also doesn't. So where do we get doctrine? Now, I know most of you will answer the right answer, scripture. We know that God's word was given by the prophets and the apostles. Are there still prophets and apostles today, though? So I've set this up to beg this question. Has God finished giving his word, or does he still speak through prophets, apostles, and personal revelation today? Well, what is a prophet, and what was their purpose? In essence, a prophet was one who was a servant, who God would reveal his secrets to, Amos 3.7, revealing to his prophet himself, putting his words into the prophet's mouth so that he would speak all God's commands to the people, Deuteronomy 18.18. The revelation and instruction were considered doctrine, whether they were words or of comfort, words of warning, words of instruction, words of destruction, words of the future, or words of salvation and deliverance. Ultimately, they were words that God's people were to trust and believe in, and then in that belief, they were called to obey. So take Noah, for example. The first prophet we see in scripture is told of a flood to come, yet God will save. Now, these are the words given in Noah um, that he is to believe, which he does. And then he's instructed, because of this word, to proclaim the coming wrath and build an ark, which he does because he believes. 
And we see this over and over again in scripture. Prophets being given words from God to the people to be believed, and then in belief to obey what God commands. This was the role of the prophets and the purpose of the prophets. Now, just a side note, God was very strict about his word. To use his name to back up man's word, his dreams, his inclinations, and his heart nudges was and still is a transgression of the third commandment and was to be punished by death. Deuteronomy 13.5 To be a prophet, to speak for God, it was no light thing. And neither was there any question as to whether they heard God or were unclear on what was meant or said. To get God's word wrong was to risk their very life. Now I will dive more into this in part two of this series where, Lord willing, I hope to discuss false doctrine and false teachers. But um, continuing on. Now if you've ever done a study on Old Testament prophecy, you will find something quite interesting. You will find that, like I said, the prophets brought God's revealed words, usually of warning of wrath due to sinners and his grace of the deliverance of his people. But you'll start to see a pattern, a pattern that ultimately points to the final wrath to come and God's complete deliverance, Christ the Messiah, who would save us from God's wrath. All prophecy points to this. These prophecies and all the other histories and genealogies were about the coming Messiah, the chosen one who would save God's people from their sins and God's wrath. This is why we see Jesus saying in Luke 24, 44 to 47, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So now that Christ has come and has done all that was needed to save his people, and has revealed to us the Father, John fourteen nine, and has also revealed his second coming, what more is there to be revealed? For as the Holy Spirit says through the writer of Hebrews, stated in chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our Father by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So, what about the apostles? Well, what made one an apostle? An apostle had to be chosen by Jesus himself, or was one who had been an eyewitness of the Lord. In Christ's instruction to the remaining eleven apostles to replace Judas, there were certain uh, certain qualifications. So, let another take his office. So, one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Acts one twenty to 22 So, we might conclude that there are no more prophets or apostles today, but does God now speak to all his children individually? 
Well, yes and no, depending on how. Yes, if we say he speaks through the apostles, prophets, and Christ as found in scripture. Christ himself says, speaking to the apostles, whoever receives you, the apostles, receives me, and whoever receives me receives him, God, who sent me. Matthew 10:40. God has spoken and speaks to us today through scripture where we find the apostles' eyewitness teachings. Um, through the Gospels and the Epistles. But the answer is no, if you mean God speaks and is giving new revelation individually or corporately. Now, I have done um, a couple episodes that relate to this topic. If you have missed these, they are titled, Let's Talk About Lisa Turker's Book, Is God Speaking to Me? How to Discern God's Voice and Direction. And the second one is Two Opposing Doctrines, Sola Scriptura versus Hearing the Voice of God. Now, I will include these episodes in this episode's description. But we have Moses, the prophets, the apostles, and Christ himself in scripture. We have God's teachings through the writings of the prophets, and we have the gospel's eyewitness accounts records of Christ's work and his teachings. We then understand why 2 Timothy 3.16 says that it is the scriptures that teach and equip the man or woman of God for every good work. Because of this, we have all the doctrine or sets of beliefs we need to know about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, salvation, and godliness. Now, what does scripture say about doctrine? Well, now that I've laid a bit of groundwork of what doctrine is and where we get it from, what does scripture have to say about doctrine? Well, the first thing that we see in scripture is that there is true doctrine and then there are commandments of men. And I especially want to appeal to Christ here. Christ in Matthew 15 verses 1 to 9, then Pharisees and and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is, in other traditions uh, or translations called Corbin, or given to God, so whatever you've gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, These people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And the Pharisees taught the precepts of men. In this case, the necessity of washing hands before they eat. Matthew fifteen fifteen to 20. And urging men to dedicate what they would have given to their parents to give it to God instead. The Pharisees taught a set of beliefs or doctrine that pushed men to wash hands, fearing they would be defiled by touching what they eat. They also taught what they thought God wanted instead of what God actually commanded. 
So there is a right doctrine that needs to be taught, God's precepts, which Christ contrasts with men's precepts. The precepts of men may seem to honor God, dedicating service or money to what they believe God wanted, calling it Corbin, but the heart is far from them and produces vain, worthless worship. These precepts of men are traditions of men that result in the invalidation of God's word. They do what they deem as good instead of simply obeying what God has commanded. It puts a conflict in the individual to put aside God's word, God's precepts, God's instructions, and instead follow man's precepts and his instructions. Alright, scripture also says that true doctrine should be proclaimed, taught, and exhorted. Since God had give, has given us words that determine what we are to believe and how we are to live, the first thing we should recognize is that God has instructed that his doctrines be taught. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, and when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. For if you will be careful to do the all this commandment that I commanded you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways, and holding fast to him. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen to 20 So why must it be proclaimed, taught, and exhorted? The doctrine that God has given us in scripture needs to be taught for several reasons. So one, it's the power of God unto salvation. It, God's word, proclaims the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Romans 1, 16-17. And two, it trains unto godliness and causes us to devote ourselves to good works. So, there are three epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, which are written by the Apostle Paul that theologians call the pastoral epistles. These epistles give instruction on what a shepherd of the flock's role is, what pastors are to focus on, train their congregates to strive for, and how they save both themselves and their hearers. Now in 1st Timothy 4, uh, 1 to 16, we see Paul advising Timothy. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in power. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant 
of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing... You will save both yourself and your hearers. So Paul is instructing Timothy to give attention to public reading of scripture, exhortation, and teaching of it, because in the last days people will depart from the faith. God's word is that which reveals and teaches all we need to believe so we may pursue godliness. He is to take pains in these things, to be absorbed in them pay close attention to himself and his teachings to preserve uh, persevere in them because the scripture the exhortation of it and the teaching of it saves not only Timothy but also all those who learn from him now in Titus 2 we have more from Paul on the purpose for teaching sound doctrine Paul writes to Titus insist on these things that's the doctrine that Paul had given in the two chapters before this, to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works, Titus 3, 8. Paul is saying that when these things are insisted upon, then it causes believers to devote themselves to good works. What are these things? Well, God's doctrine, which he mentioned in Titus 2, verse 10. Basically, all of Titus is a letter from Paul urging Titus to teach and exhort, which means to strongly encourage or urge, sound or right doctrine, and to refute those who contradict it, Titus 1.9. Paul here is explaining that there is a relationship between doctrine and practice. That knowing, understanding, and trusting in sound doctrine actually causes good works. The specific doctrine that Paul is talking about here that causes us to do good works is the doctrine of justification by faith alone, verses 4 to 7. Other passages that express this relationship between right doctrine and good works are 1 Corinthians 6, 1 to 3 and 1 Corinthians seven fifteen. It's in these passages, Paul is pointing out certain acts that he identifies as being sinful and not good. And instead of merely saying, you need to do better, just stop sinning, he appeals to them, reminding them of what they should know, what they had been taught, sound doctrine. He states, do you not know? Do you not know? This is his remedy. 
to remind them of the sound doctrine that was taught to them. The sound doctrine that urges them and causes them to trust Christ and produce good works. In fact, as you read more and more of the epistles, you'll see that it's a common prayer among the writers that the church grow in wisdom, knowledge, understanding, and discernment. James 1.5, Colossians 1.9, Ephesians 1.17, all which come from true doctrine, because this knowledge and discernment causes our love to abound more and more, Philippians 1.9. All right, and then finally three, or the third reason why it needs to be teached, exhorted, and, and uh, proclaimed is that it matures a disciple of Christ. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, Paul explains why God has given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They were to equip the saints for the work of service to build up the body, the goal being to attain to the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, and to mature a man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Basically, in essence, to become like Christ. As a result of maturity, being like our Lord, we will no longer be tossed here and there, carried about by every wind of doctrine. In knowing right doctrine, we will no longer be led away by trickery of men or craftiness of deceitful scheming, but instead we will speak the truth and love to each other as we are growing up in all aspects into Christ. Now, the purpose of our salvation is to glorify God through the good works that God prepared for us to walk in. So there is a connection from the doctrine and teaching which God gives to us in scripture and the works that God has for us to do. And this is why doctrine matters. Because right living, God's teaching, equips us for all the good works God prepared beforehand for us to walk in, Ephesians 2.10. False doctrine does the opposite. It does not equip us to walk in good works. Believing false doctrine is believing false teachings about God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, and their work in and for us, therefore hindering our good works. For again, it's faith that pleases God. It is our faith that makes our works good. I desire that women know and believe right doctrine because the typical American evangelical women of today are constantly being fed law. The popular women speakers uh, preach and teach law, five steps for this, ten steps for that, all to push women to love God and love neighbor more. But I constantly saw in scripture that the prayer among the apostles was for the church to grow in knowledge, understanding, discernment, and faith. This was their desire for the church so that their love would abound more and more. But knowledge, understanding, discernment, and faith in what? Well, faith in Christ. For Paul desired to know nothing among the church but Christ and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2.2 2. To know Christ and Him crucified, this is doctrine. And either one can come to know and believe rightly of Christ and His work on the cross, or believe wrongly. 
but it is clear in Scripture through First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus, Second John, and other epistles that right doctrine was a driving force behind our love. And this is why Paul says that we do not need the law to teach us. First Timothy one ten, because that law is written on our hearts as God promised to give Hebrews ten sixteen, and because we know Christ, we know God, and we have the Holy Spirit who guides us into this knowledge. John fourteen seventeen, John sixteen thirteen, First Corinthians two ten, among many other verses. It is this knowledge that causes us to love others and love God more and more. Our popular American women's ministry of today is missing God's doctrine. His teaching about himself, his teaching about the Son and the Holy Spirit. It especially, especially misses God's wonderful teaching of the gospel. All God's teachings cause a woman to devote themselves to repentance, godliness, to Christ-likeness, to becoming women who reflect Psalm 31 and Titus 2. So my conclusion, (laughs) I hope I've laid out for you what doctrine is, a set of teaching that a person believes, and how God has given his teachings, and that we are called to believe and walk in these teachings. I hope that I've shown from scripture how right teaching or doctrine produce godliness, maturity, and good works. And so, how does this apply to us and our homes? Well, my question is, and it can be a tough one, are you spending time and effort to learn what God wants you to learn, to know what God wants you to know about Him, about Christ, about the Holy Spirit? Do you have a hard time abounding in love for family and friends? Are you having a hard time working at home or being self-controlled or kind? Are you having a hard time submitting to your husband? We saw clearly that it was the teaching of what is good, God's very word to us in scripture, that causes us to do these good works. So maybe there's a set of beliefs that we need to correct, or maybe it's just finding our joy again in Christ, our joy in the gospel, what he has completed for us on the cross. Maybe these need to be our focus. Instead of merely focusing on how to love the law, we should also study why we love. And that is Christ. Because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. So next time on our Titus 2 time, I want to think and talk about false doctrine, what its effects are, how to identify it, and finally look at how God's teaching specifically produce good works in our homes. But until then, I pray you are searching the scriptures to learn right teaching on who God is, on who Christ is, and who this Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, and what they have done, what they promise to do. I pray, like Paul, that you grow more and more in knowledge and discernment so that your love may abound more and more. I pray you are in God's word.